Hey, it's Motley Fool Money co-host Dylan Lewis here. If you're listening to us, it's because you love following the stock market and learning about business stories. If you're looking to keep learning and unlocking your potential, then you should check out the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast produced by our friends over at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Think Fast, Talk Smart is the Webby award-winning best business podcast that's received nearly 43 million downloads and is the number one career podcast in 95 plus countries, so you know it's worth your time. Each week, host and Stanford lecturer Matt Abraham sits down with experts to discuss the best tips to hone and develop your communication skills, from making small talk that leaves a big impression, to keeping your nerves in check while speaking, to being more persuasive. Whether you're working on your elevator pitch or planning an important meeting, strong communication skills are important in business and life in general. That's why you'll hear from pros like neuroscientist Andrew Huberman on how to manage speaking anxiety, as well as speechwriter, best-selling author, and friend of the fool Dan Pink on how to take risks in your communication, and psychologist Kelly McGonigal on how to harness nervous energy to fuel powerful presentations. All that and so much more available on the Think Fast, Talk Smart podcast. So what are you waiting for? Listen every Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube. To quote the great man, I think that a life properly lived is just learn, learn, learn all the time. Motley Fool Money starts now. I'm Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined over the airwaves by Motley Fool analyst David Meyer. David, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Today, we are going to celebrate one of the greatest investors of all time. This week, Charlie Munger, vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway and Warren Buffett's right-hand man, passed away at the age of 99. And David Munger was a source of wisdom and humor for the investing community and the business world for such a long time. Uh, We are going to spend today's show kind of talking through his impact, his legacy, some of the lessons that will carry forward. And I, and I feel like the best place to start that conversation is probably his mongerisms and some of his writings. Um, I gave one in the intro of the show, uh, but he is so notable and so quotable. I'm curious, what, what is something that has stuck out to you from the past? Yes. So, for those of you that don't know me, I was actually an engineer before um, I joined The Motley Fool. And the quote that has always stuck with me from Munger is, invert, always invert. So why so why would that you know why would that be? Well, I can tell you, having tried to solve a lot of engineering problems, many times <laughs> the insight always came from, I w- I know what the answer is. <laughs> Let me figure out what I need to do in order to get there, and that is exactly what he's talking about. Look, in, especially with investing, like imagine you want a business to be great, right? You don't have to know what all the steps are going forward, just look forward and say, hey, this business is 10 times as big as it is now. And ask yourself, what would it have to do in order to get there? And what that does is that frees your mind to, to, to figure out, okay, from, uh, from a number standpoint, what does it have to do? From a competitive standpoint, what might it do? Oh, who do I have to worry about from a competitive standpoint? Like, who's gonna, who is it going up against? Um, how are its customers going to react? What kind of pricing does it so, that to me, if and again, it's because of my engineering background uh, that I know that that one resonated with me. But that is so profound yet so simple. Yeah, and and I think what is so great about that one, David, is it's a it's a framework. It's a way of thinking about things, and that is such a large part of how he approached investing and how we really thought about thinking. So yes, um, 
one of the interesting things, at least as I picked up on his personality, is he was never going to give you an answer. If you asked him a question, you know, what's two plus two, right? He's not going to tell you the answer is four. He always, always, always wanted to give you the framework to have you think about what it, what, uh, the answer should be, right? He, he, that in, in his whole life, that was always what he wanted to do. He wanted you to think because look, we're all different, right? We all approach problems in different ways. And so to say that there's one answer in business is sort of ridiculous, right? But here's how he would communicate. Here's how I might think about it. Here's how others might think about it. So yes, frameworks were his thing. And I have to say, when I was at Wake Forest for uh, getting my MBA, the best class that I had was a strategy class. And that's all the professor taught was, here's a framework for how to think about this problem. Here's a frame and putting them together and integrating them, which is another thing that uh, Munger was very, uh, thought was very important. The in, it's, you know, one plus one plus one is not equal three. If you integrate them together, right? He would say, you know, it could be six, could be nine, could be a thousand, but yes, the integration of frameworks was, was a big part of his legacy. In that vein, David, I think one of my favorite quotes is, we have three baskets for investing, yes, no, and too tough to understand. <laughs> because to your point, what someone might think of as too tough to understand is perfectly in the wheelhouse of another investor. It's not overly prescriptive to the point where it says, avoid this, don't avoid that, but it's an easy framework for other people to borrow and then take their own life experiences, their own expertise, and apply to. Sure, and Warren Buffett is, you know, is the perfect example of that. Warren Buffett every year that he has ever been alive has basically said, "Look, I don't understand technology. Therefore, I'm I'm not going to invest in it." And so many people would say, "No, no, no. It's it's easy, Warren. You know, you just have to think about it later." And Warren would be like, "No, it's just it's too hard for me." It's too hard for me. So Warren, you know, that was something definitely that that they, you know, as a partnership, they both believed in it. And I, I can imagine, you know, uh, uh, Charlie basically sometimes holding Warren's feet to the fire, saying, you know, look, are you sure you understand this business? Are you sure you understand this business? But yes, the two, the two, the two, the two hard. There's plenty of ideas in my, you know, in in my too hard pile, which is behind me. Yeah, and I think for for a lot of investors, especially new investors, it's it's great advice because there is this expectation that you know the more sophisticated you get, the better you understand something, and that you know you get style points almost uh, for for finding these novel ideas. And the reality <laughs> is, no, you don't. <laughs> no, in fact, you might be taking on uh, additional risk, which is exactly how I think uh, Munger would think about it. Like if you don't, if you're going up again, and it, markets are competitive. And if you're going up against someone who has better information than you and can organize it better, like he would immediately say, I'm not playing that game. Like there's no reason for me to play that game. And so uh, for beginning investors, you know, you don't have to be, uh, it's a, it's a perfect message for beginning investors. I love what you just said there because it just be you know what you're good at. Right? No, like, like, hey, you know, you you very well might be uh, aligned towards consumers. Uh, you maybe you maybe you have an aficionado. You're, you're a food a foodie, and you know about restaurants. Stick there. Learn about those businesses. So, yeah, it's it's a really good mongerism. 
you mentioned the the partnership and the back and forth between Munger and Buffett, which is incredibly well documented, uh, as is their success uh, at Berkshire Hathaway. But I thought, uh, just just given the opportunity, it might be good for us to put some numbers to what the firm has been able to do with those two at the helm. Uh, we count it now as one of the most valuable companies in the world. <laughs> that is a far cry from where the partnership originally started, um, and I think it's probably one of the greatest investing stories of all time. Yes. So let me uh, let me take one half step back in order to set some context for this. So one of the things that I think is underappreciated about Munger is you know he was stoic and you know he he didn't talk a lot, but he had he was definitely a deep thinker, and he was a, a heck of a visionary. If you look at his um, analysis of Coca Cola, he projected way into the future. About what Coke could become, and then worked back backwards, i.e., invert, um, to to figure out how it was going to get there. He must have done the same thing with Warren. He must have looked out and said, "You know what? Warren is going to be massively successful, and we're going to be investing a lot of money. So let me, at some point, so let me help develop a framework." To scale, because traditional value investing, which is where Warren came from, you know, the Ben Graham school, that's not scalable. Like you can't manage very large sums of money playing that game. So let's let's take you back to 1982. In the 1982 chairman's letter, those two were investing. Uh, the market value of the publicly traded portfolio was 946 million dollars. Okay, now just under a billion dollars. Like okay, you know that you could probably, you know, there's there's plenty of value funds out there that are doing that. In 1992. The market value of their publicly traded portfolio was almost eleven and a half billion dollars. Okay, that's getting difficult. Like again, you have to take this great company, long-term growth mindset in order to scale your portfolio up just over ten x. Right? Okay. Fast forward thirty years, twenty twenty-two. They're managing three hundred and fifty billion dollars. They've Munger put together a process that enabled them to go from a billion dollars of capital invested in 1982 to 350 billion dollars, and they're still making investment returns. That is amazing. It's incredible for so many reasons, and I think one of them is the the success for this style and for investing in general. Kind of gets harder and harder to come by the larger you get. And we've heard Buffett and we've heard Munger talk about so much. There are only so many things that move the needle when your portfolio is that size, and yet they continue to find them. They continue to do it. And and we do have to the other piece of this, okay, that is very important, and I know Munger had a big influence on this, was the structure of Berkshire Hathaway. Berkshire gets most of its capital from its insurance. Um, organizations, right? So people give them money to insure things. They take the money, they invest it. Berkshire Hathaway is not looking to generate huge returns. And the reason is, is because Munger and Buffett structured the company to essentially have a zero cost of capital. So if I, if, if, if my business, if my business success is based on the spread between how much my capital costs and how much my capital earns, having zero as your cost of capital, which is essentially is what it is, 
like that's a huge advantage if you're going to be an ultra long-term investor and you know it and but it's not it's not that I'm going to be safe. Like they're not parking these in treasuries and trying to get, you know, two, three, five percent. One of the uh, investments that uh, Munger is directly responsible for is a company called BYD, which is the battery maker in China. He's been high on this company for a long time. Since they invested in it, it's a 33 bagger. 33x. We're, again, we're not talking risk-less investing, right? But it's, it, they've, you know, even with zero cost of capital, you put 33x on top of, you know, 250 million dollar investment at essentially zero cost. That is, again, the numbers the are astounding. Are astounding. Yeah, they're they're absolutely incredible, and it's it's a hard model to build for yourself. You need a, an insurance business or or something that gives you that cash uh, at at a low or no cost. Um, but if you can find it, it, it winds up being an incredibly lucrative model. Absolutely, and again, these two. Together, um, they fed off of each other, right? I mean, Munger made Munger made Buffett a better investor and better businessman, and and the, and the same, you know, the reciprocal happened as well. Together, they, you know, they just made an incredible investment company. I think one of the other investing lessons for me from Munger and really from the duo and the dynamic that they had um, was his comfort with concentration. <laughs> which is uh, a little different than I think where Buffett probably started, and certainly very different than how a lot of investors tend to think about concentration. We, especially when people are getting started early on, really espouse the benefits of diversification, 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 because it can save you from a lot of mistakes and from taking on too much risk. But I think Munger kind of perfected this. You learn the rules, you break the rules, and then you become very confident in how you break the rules over time. And his view was so much more, it's okay to be highly concentrated because it's, in some ways, just a measure of conviction and finding opportunities and acting on them. For most people, you know, an investment in the S&P 500 index is the right choice because investing is not what they do every day, right? And you're, if you're not in the game, so to speak, every day, analyzing businesses, talking with other businessmen and women, you know, in the markets, you know, that's that's what Buffett and Munger did every day, and so it makes complete sense from that perspective. If this is what you're an expert in, and you come across a good idea. You know, it's this isn't you don't put two percent of your portfolio in it, right? You put twenty percent of your portfolio in it. Yeah, I mean, just just look at their stake in Apple, right? Correct. The concentration can be scary, but again, if you're on the if if this is something that is your passion and that you uh, you're an expert at and you do every day, um, you can run a concentrated portfolio. I will say, at one point. I had a stock that was 85% of my portfolio. That's high. That's pretty <laughs> that's, high. That's really high. How did you feel about that? It got there the right way. Mm. It got there because I put, you know, 15% of my portfolio and it turned out to be, you know, it turned out to be a good investment. Sometimes it was a little hard to sleep at night mm. <laughs> knowing it was that much, but um, you know, when I would go through and I would reassess, you know, okay, where, you know, where's the company today? What's it doing? How, you know, is the stock price ridiculously overvalued or does it still have some appreciation? You know, again, that's what I do every day. 
So for, you know, for a limited time, I was comfortable with it. Um, I, yeah, through Munger, I don't have a problem with, uh, with, with concentration when it's warranted. I think the key with that is it's a lot of concentration paired with the discipline of when it makes sense for that concentration. You and, have to have both. Yeah, <laughs> you and, have to have both. And they talk about that. There's there's a quote that I'll I'll pull up here that I think is is relevant. You mentioned the game of investing earlier. He says the whole trick of the game is to have a few times when you know something is better than average and invest only where you have that extra knowledge. It gets to the expertise point you were talking about earlier. And I think you know the idea here is we are not heavily concentrated all the time. We're heavily concentrated during those kind of generational moments where we see an opportunity. Yes. So the business school adage, right, of, uh, you know, with more risk, you should expect more return. I, I mean, okay, directionally, that's correct. But if you have a massive opportunity and the risk is low, your concentration in that opportunity should go up, right? It's a, it's a risk assessment, risk management game at that point. Yeah, 100%. And uh, it's something I've borrowed as well. You talked about using it a little bit in your own portfolio. I, I have a company that's not 85%, 25% of my individual stock portfolio. And in thinking the abstract, probably too much, but I take a look at the business and where it's positioned and I say, I just don't see how this company gets disrupted. I just don't see how this opportunity goes away. And that kind of gives me the confidence to maintain the position. And it has been one of those positions that's grown and grown over time for all the right reasons. So I've just continued to let it go there, Munger style. Very good. No, that you you're 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 borrowing his uh, you know you're borrowing his knowledge and wisdom perfectly there. I, I think one of the things I like about his knowledge and wisdom is it it's investing in business advice, but a lot of it is kind of life advice through the lens of investing and business. And I, I think as we wrap, it, it probably makes sense to talk a little bit just about some life lessons from Munger because I see so many in his quotations. Absolutely, and and uh, you know, I really appreciate the the one that you brought to the beginning of the show, um, which is learn, learn, learn. And you know, not only did not only did he say that, right, but he he lived it, and he has also been charitable. Um, he does a lot of work with universities, um, uh, so you know, learning is at the absolute center of his entire ethos, right? He, in some respects, I don't think he really cares that he's a billionaire. <laughs> it's great, right? But that's not who he is, right? He is, he wants to be, uh, he much more, he's much more comfortable being a person who helped the world, you know, make the world a, be- a little bit of a better place, helped People get smarter, influenced people to make better decisions. I, I have to say, you know, fr- along those lines, again, as an engineer, I came in with the attitude to, when I came to the Motley Fool and I came into investing. I came in with the attitude of, look, I'm really good with numbers. Like, I should be able to find opportunities, and I'll be able to, um, you know, to to suss them out better than better uh, better than other people can, and I'll make a lot of money, and then. I read his uh, his his analysis of Coca Cola, and I'm like, yeah, there's like five num there's like five percent numbers, ninety five percent qualitative analysis. It was psychology and competitive, you know, competitiveness and you know aftertaste versus no aftertaste. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this wrong. <laughs> I am totally doing this wrong. And I changed my you know I changed my style uh, as as a result of that while I was here at the Motley Fool. 
you know, which is another benefit of working for our company is like, you know, you're going to grow. You, you need to have a learning mindset because that is something that is important to the Gardner brothers as well. I think to your point there earlier about the way that he viewed money, I think Munger primarily viewed money and wealth as really just an opportunity for him to spend his time the way that he wanted to. And in his case, so much of that was deciding to read, deciding to learn. I think he made a joke at one point that uh, you know his grandchildren probably see him as a book with legs because he's so often just sitting there in the chair reading a book. And I, I think that learning mindset for him is such a large part of what, what I take away um, from, from his career. And I think one of the things that that kind of sticks out to me in that vein is like we talk so much about Buffett and Munger together. The formal partnership of Buffett and Munger didn't actually start until Munger was in his fifties. They had yeah. known each other for a little while before that. I think about a decade and a half before that. But so much of what we know of this man and his legacy was something that didn't start until he was halfway through his life. He'd been investing before that, but not but not with Warren Buffett. And I think it's it's an apt reminder that there is so much in front of you, kind of no matter what stage you are at in life, as if you're embracing the learning mindset, if you're embracing whatever life will continue to throw at you. I completely agree. Yeah, if for for those of you who may not know, he's a, he's a lawyer by training. Um, he had a law firm. Um, he had his own. You know, he was a partner in a big law firm actually, and you know, he 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 switched careers. Um, you know, I would like to think that uh, that I, you know, that I had a, a similar uh, epiphany, if you will. So, um, you know, what the reason I changed careers? One, I realized I'm making actually more money as, as investing my portfolio than I am as an engineer. So, and I and I love it. And so, it was at that point that I'm like, you know what? I just I just need to make a switch and. I had no plans to to do this ever. Like I figure, uh, the reason I came to the Motley Fool as a reader was, was I had just gotten married. We had just moved. I just had my first job, and I was like, you know what? We're gonna want to buy a house. We're gonna want to have kids. I need to start learning about investing. And the more I learned, the more I was just completely taken with the subject. And you know, basically for about uh, seven years, I prepped. You know, became became a personal investor, prepped through the Motley Fool before I, you know, landed a job here in in 2005. And I, th- you know, we t- we talked a little bit about this on the morning show. But if you uh, if if there was one thing that if you wanted to pay homage to to Munger today, you know, which which we're doing here because we appreciate everything that he's uh, taught us over the years. Go go read a book about a topic. Uh, go read a book on a topic that you don't know anything about, and you're just gonna you just want to learn. Like, to that is what would make Charlie Munger so much happier than one of us making a good investment decision. He would rather us read a book about and learn something. That seems like a perfect way to wrap today's show. David Meyer, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Dylan. Really appreciate it. Listeners, we mentioned a few of our favorite mungerisms and stories. We'd love to hear yours. Podcasts at fool.com is where you can send them. David mentioned more munger homages on The Morning Show. That's our daily program on our premium live stream, Motley Fool Live. We'll put a link to that conversation in the show notes so our US members can check that out too. As always, people on the program may own stocks mentioned, and Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. 
I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow.